Hey, what's up? This podcast is brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Y'all check them out online at mslandbank.com. Land needs. Now, you may be buying, you may be selling, you may just be looking, thinking, and it's obviously farmland if you're a farmer in North Mississippi, but also maybe recreational, hunting land. Maybe you're looking for a spot to build that dream home. All that more, you're going to want to start, trust me, with the people at Mississippi Land Bank. You'll be glad you did. Also brought to you by Jubilation's Cheesecake in West Point. Went by there the other day. In fact, uh, great folks and great stuff and great sweets at Jubilation's Cheesecake. Told you about um, um, the fact that you can go in there on Highway 45 in West Point, watch the cheesecakes being made. A reminder here that you can also find them in Kroger stores all throughout North Mississippi. Head on over there to the freezer section and pick up your Jubilation's Cheesecake made right there in West Point. On to Omaha, eight teams left. It's like a whole new season. Here's a whole new intro. Big hit, Mac just did it again. Come on now, big hit, Mac got one more big hit in him. There ain't a better place to be in the world than right there on that dog pile. All right, Brett, what'd you think about the new intro, huh? I love it. Fantastic! I'm I'm all for a big hit Mac reference. First of all, big big fan of that. Love the new music in there. It's 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 higher energy. It's up tempo. Yeah. It's it's getting people fired up for for the College World Series. I love it. Did am I mistaken or did, I caught part of the interview that Elijah McNamee did after the game with the SEC guys, Ben McDonald, those guys, but. I don't guess I heard this part, but did he say during the interview, I'm Big Hit Mac? Didn't he actually say that? <laughs> That'd be awesome if he did. I, <laughs> I was, don't know if he did. I, I was otherwise occupied, yeah, uh, you as you can imagine. But yeah, that's uh, that, that'd be a, a pretty big boss moment from <laughs> from him, much like much like he treated that first base sump, which we'll yeah. we'll have to get to later on. We uh, we solicited Twitter questions. Um, and, and we'll get to those cool. later on in the show. Um, and one of them touches on on that. You might have to lead. You might have to cede the floor for a few minutes when we get to that <laughs> particular question, Matt. But but of course, we're we're coming to you for for another episode of Dogpile after Mississippi State wins the Starkville Super Regional. They are one of eight going to the College World Series. They win. They win it in two. At what way? They one of just two supers to finish in two. Right? Uh, yeah. Louisville did two. In... No, Florida State. That's it. No, no, no. Florida State went to three with LSU because LSU... No, they didn't. Did they not? I was thinking. No. Of... Okay. Well, I was thinking LSU won a game. Maybe I'm crazy. No, no, they didn't. Okay. So three. Only three okay. Super Regionals lasted two games. That's uh, Starkville, Baton Rouge, and uh, Louisville. And yeah. they won those games six to two and eight to one. The schedule came out. For the College World Series, first four games, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday morning, so that came out Monday night. Uh, State is the final of the first four games. They're scheduled to play 6.30 Sunday night. They'll play Auburn on ESPN2. Um, so do with that information what you will. And then they'll play again on Tuesday, Whether if weather doesn't mess all this up. Now it's just a matter of whether they win or lose, whether they uh, what time they play on, on Tuesday. But that's what... That's what's left ahead. I wanted to to get to you to start, Matt, because yeah. I feel like I've I've emptied my bullets in terms <laughs> of the baseball of the Starkville Super Regional. Um, just going through the daily dog piles and, and recapping games, and I feel like I've more or less emptied my emotional bullets on that story I wrote earlier in the week. You can find that on the website mattwhitemedia.com. Find me on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson. Like the Facebook page. Facebook.com slash radio Y. A bunch of ways to find that uh that story, but it kind of goes through the the really rewarding send-off moments for guys like Plumley and McNamee and mm-hmm. uh, Mangum, Lee Belt, Gordon, all of them, guys that played their final game at Duty Noble Field and and got pretty pretty excellent send-offs as as they did. I've I've pretty much emptied all the bullets in yeah. in my chamber. Uh so what what's in yours? Well, you know, so many things stand out, um, and and it's hard to figure out where to start. If I was to notch off the bullet list of high points, I mean, it was all a high point. You know, you you go two and zero against the Stanford to go to Omaha, and a bunch of seniors step up 
you know, big, outgoing player stepping out. You know, I will start with the crowd um, just because that's what the ballpark was built for. Everybody yep. in the country is talking about the ballpark and the atmosphere, even people around Major League Baseball. Uh, there was a show there on the MLB Network where guys were just kicking stuff around on air one day, and they're like, did you see that? That's college, man. You see that? I mean, so like everybody around the country is talking about it, which is, again, it's why they built the park. Yeah, it worked out perfectly. Um, but the fans make it. You know, the, the park can sit there and be great all it wants to, but if there's not 13,000 people in there, it's not great. It's not as great as it was. And so the fans make it and their involvement, you know, that clip that you hear in the intro where McNamee hit the home run, it, I wish people would go back and that was a TV copy. I wish they'd go back and watch it and listen to it again because it's amazing how locked in every single person in that stadium was to that 3-2 pitch in the ninth inning. Because as soon as he made contact, that entire place erupted. And so not only did McNamee know it was gone, and the catcher and the pitcher know it was gone, off the bat, 12,000 people knew it was gone and went nuts. And it's just one of those moments. Okay, so the crowd and the atmosphere, number one, I think is a huge standout. But, Brett, here's the other thing. Now, I could go down the list individually. That would take too long. But think mm -hmm. about this. Think about on that stage in the clinching game. Now, obviously, your first-round draft pick, the SEC pitcher of the year, Ethan Small, um, was the star the night before. But on the yeah. night when you've got to get it done to send yourself to Omaha, think about the players who made it happen, Okay. Let's start with Peyton Plumley. <clears throat> His story is not common. Okay. It usually goes the other way. When somebody goes through what Michael, I mean, what uh, I said, Michael, what Peyton Plumley went through. Hey, Peyton's dad. Hey, what's up, Mike? <laughs> He's a big dude, by the way. Um, <laughs> what Peyton went through the year before, it usually goes the other way. Frankly, there's not. Nine times out of 10, maybe even 99 out of 100, there's not a happy ending a lot of times. Okay? Mm -hmm. Let's say that. So with what he went through, here's senior Peyton Plumley on the mound in the clinching game. And the first batter he faces launches one. <laughs> and you're down one to nothing. And I thought Peyton's approach in the postgame, the way he talked about it in the postgame, gives you a glimpse at why he has become the player that he is. Because he's so level-headed, even after the game, he's able to say, well, I knew I was going to give up a home run. I pretty much do. You know? It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I heard the guys. Because you're thinking, wait a minute, you know, these guys are like, no, I'm, in, I'm Superman, I'm invincible, I'm on the mound, look at me, and I can't believe he even got a bat on it. Well, that's not the way he's looking at it. He's like, it's a good lineup. They hit a ton of home runs all year. At some point, they're going to tag one. I just didn't expect it to be the first guy, you know, right out of the gates. And yeah. it shows you this mature approach of, well, I hate it happened, but there's a lot of pitches to throw. I'll, I'll dial it in. And sure enough, he did. You know, the never too high, never too low, that you have to be the starting pitcher mentality. And so for him – to come back after giving up that home run and be as dominant as he was, just incredible on that stage. You could not make it up. Truth is sometimes more unbelievable than fiction. All right, so Peyton Plumley Sr. Uh, Dustin Skelton, what else are we going to say about him? I mean, uh, so I, I know you listened to it because, of course you did, but the – the postseason numbers I went through for Dustin Skelton, yeah, and that final daily dog pile of of the Super Regional, like, what gets into that boy, yeah, in, in the postseason, it's it's incredible, mm -hmm. and uh, enjoy it while you can because he got drafted and he's I, I'm assuming he's gonna go, um, enjoy it while you can, but he he just he loves this postseason moment. I don't know what it is about him, and frankly, I don't think he can explain it either, yeah. Uh, he, he's probably even tried at some point, but he just, he has his best stuff 
in this postseason. He has his approach nailed down. He has his swing nailed down by the time June gets here when when it really matters. And yep. there's actually a, a Twitter question that we can go ahead and answer right now. Someone asked uh, who the the super regional MVP was. And it, it's funny, I, I was overhearing a conversation from the SIDs, Greg Campbell at Mississippi State and his counterpart at, at Stanford, who argued that the NCAA should have like a balloted process for uh for the super regional MVP like we do for uh, all regional team uh-huh. in, in the round before it. So there isn't an official answer to this question from Chris New at Chris New 4 on Twitter. But I think Dustin Skelton would be my selection if I was given one. Yeah. Well, and, and how are you going to argue with it? Because you got all the numbers in the world you want to back it up. What um, – and and the thing is, I mean, look at the way he – look at him behind the plate. I don't think he had one single pass ball. You know, he guns down a runner. After, you know, having the big hit, he comes out the uh, bottom of the next inning and guns down the runner at third base. Um, he just did so much. You can't say enough about him. So I guess this is what I was driving at is Peyton Plumley, senior, Dustin Skelton, outgoing, you know, basically a senior. Mm-hmm. Um, McNamee at the end of the game. But in that ninth inning, Jake Mangum comes up, standing ovation. They play a song. The whole sta- stadium gets on its feet. First pitch, bang. Through the six-hole oppo <laughs> single. And then a couple of batters later, you get a 3-2, three-run home run from McNamee, and the place goes nuts. And you're not done because you weren't the home team. Fittingly, Cole Gordon has to go out there and shut it down, and he does. Yep. It's just the way it all ended is just spooky how, how Hollywood it was for that team. You know? I mean, it really was. And so – yeah. There's just so much there to point to and so many superlatives. And, you know, it's a team that has a legit shot at a national title. I do think Omaha looks to me to be as loaded as it's ever been, frankly, on both sides. It's loaded. Loaded. It's it's really, really good. And we'll we'll get to that um, here here in a second. But I, I had two more things and, and bounce off these as you want. The, the point – you just made about how much of a storybook ending it was. I think it's, I, I think it's beautiful timing that it comes with the timing it does, and that this is the first year at this brand new stadium they built. Because it goes back to a conversation I was having with my man Chad Dakis. Shouts to Chad running one tortilla grill, the lounge <laughs> out there uh, in center field. Um, he, he's the one that cooked that fantastic crawfish sausage corn tortilla mm-hmm. I put on Twitter during that, uh, Boy, that Sunday good. game. Oh man, it was incredible. So flavorful. Anyway, um, uh, he and I were having a conversation around Jake Mangum breaking the SEC career hits record, uh, in that Georgia series. And he thought that was an important moment for the fan base because everyone has, those memories of where they were in the old duty noble field when when big things happened everyone remembers where they were when brent rooker hit that 900 foot home run against kentucky in super bulldog weekend everyone remembers where they were for burke masters and rafael palmero and will clark and jeff brantley and all these legends that played at the old duty noble field and and you kind of need some of those memories to bake into mm-hmm. a stadium to truly feel at home and they have that in jake mangum breaking the sec career hits record they have that in winning the starkville regional the way the way they did and they have that above all else and just the beautiful ending of the starkville super regional they have those moments now that that the new duty noble field truly is home now because they have memories in that stadium and one season in it that will last everyone in this fan base a lifetime. I don't think that's mm-hmm. beyond uh, the stretch of imagination. There. Yeah, I and, agree. and my my other point is I I was always kind of skeptical of quote unquote home field advantage in baseball because you can look at a guy who's who's struggling to make pitches and, and say, oh, he's rattled by the environment when it's baseball, right? To use the, the poorly overused phrase, sometimes you just don't have it. 
it was very obvious that Stanford's pitchers, particularly starting pitchers, to go back to some of the stats on just how shell-shocked they were uh, mm-hmm. in Starkville, it was clear that when things spiraled on them is when the place got wild mm-hmm. and then they went with it. Yeah, it, it was just abundantly clear that was undeniable just based on what they did in high-pressure situations when the stadium was rocking their pitching got worse. Yeah. That it was undeniable and it goes back to what you said at the top. Duty Noblefield was something I'll never forget this this weekend in all of the unspeakable things I've seen covering <laughs> this baseball team for 3 years. That one's going to be near the top of the list. That environment this weekend, something I'll never forget and I think it's undeniable that they impacted the game because Stanford starting pitchers could not rise to that moment. Yeah, that's it. It kind of jumped on their back. You could see that. You know, the walks in game two with the starter, and he actually looked pretty sharp, you know, his first inning or two out there, but it wow, really, yeah. you know, unraveled pretty quick. And, you know, it also is just a testament to State's lineup. It is. It just puts so much pressure on the other team for that full – Nine innings, 27 outs, it just puts so much pressure because you get no breaks. I mean, for Pete's sake, your nine-hole hitter, Marshall Gilbert, what, he bat 500 that weekend? Um, <laughs> you know, and, and every ball he hit seemed like it was a laser, you know? Yep. Um, they just put so much pressure on you. Um, Westberg, big at-bats, hitting the ball hard. If McNamee all of a sudden is dialed back in and confident, look out. So, you know, they could be putting it together certainly at the at the, at the right time. Yeah, but it was a, and, and it was a historic weekend. It was. And and they need to be putting it together mm-hmm. at, at the right time with uh with what they're facing in mm-hmm. in Omaha. Let's let's get to that. Uh before before we really dive into this, know that I'm gonna get I'm planning on getting to Omaha Friday morning in time for all eight teams to do batting practice and press conferences and open locker room sessions and, and all that stuff. So we'll, I'll really dive into the other seven teams in, in Omaha with Mississippi State once I get to Omaha, uh, hopefully sometime Friday morning in, in time for, for all of that. So we're kind of going to go quickly through the three teams in Mississippi State's half of the bracket, knowing that later on in the week, we're going to really laser in on everybody in, in Omaha. So you'll have something to to go back to, not only when Mississippi State, in theory, ends up playing all three of these teams um, in, in the bracket, if that does happen, and then to laser in on what could be a national championship series opponent if Mississippi State gets there. Uh, so the other half of the bracket, just to – just to knock that out, uh, is Florida State, Arkansas, Michigan, and Texas Tech. They are in the other side of the bracket. So Mississippi State is joined by Auburn, Louisville, and Vanderbilt. Uh, I think you have to start with Auburn. Uh, mm. Kind of what you would expect of a 14-16 and 16 SEC team that makes Omaha. It's been a bumpy ride. That's yeah. what you'd expect, and that's what it has been. No one in the lineup is hitting over 300 for the season right now. Connor Davis leads that at 287 and no one in the lineup is slugging more than 500. Edouard Julian leads that at 435. No one on the team has double digit homers, although three have nine. So you would expect this team to be here by pitching. And that's not necessarily the case either. They gave up seven runs in half of their NCAA tournament games to date. And they don't really have a set rotation. Tanner Burns used to be the lone centerpiece, but some shoulder tightness threw him off at the end of the season and the final two rotation spots have, spots have been changing hands for most of the SEC season. So this is just a team of destiny. They've they've had that magic. They've had the moment on their, on their side, and now they're here. Yeah, yeah. Um, Butch Thompson, <clears throat> their head coach at So Auburn. happy for that guy, man. Yeah, so happy for him and just a winner. You know, I, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to text him this morning. And I'm gonna, you know, tell him congrats and say, hey, last time you were there, you were y'all were lobbing Ross uh, Mitchell out of the dugout <laughs> before the game, you know that because that's the last time that he was in Omaha was that 13 state team and yeah, happy for him and he's a winner and he's got the right mindset. They've got the right chemistry on that team 
And they're going to be a program to be reckoned with as long as he's the head coach there. That's just all it is. They to are. It. Yeah. They are. And I, I know a lot of people in and around the Mississippi State program are, are looking forward to to seeing him. I and mean, even even to this day, any veteran pitcher you speak to or, or guys that have recently uh, left the program, all of them will mention Butch Thompson and and shower as much praise on him as you will allow them time to. Yeah. Every every Mississippi State pitcher and family member that I've ever uh, ran into who I've mentioned Butch Thompson to, it's it's nothing but praise. So I'm 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 sure a lot of people are going to be really excited to to see him when they meet up in Omaha. My last note on Auburn is that that one starting pitcher Tanner Burns and his shoulder tightness. There was serious doubt if he'd even be available at all for the Super Regional, and things improved to the point that he could take a two inning start in that Monday game. But he's probably the biggest news to watch out of Auburn right now because I'm confident if the Tigers had their way, they'd have him on the mound for that first game in Omaha Mm -hmm. and give him a shot at revenge against these Mississippi State hitters. It was really his only bad start of the year before the shoulder tightness came in. His five innings was his shortest before the late April short tightness, shoulder tightness. He gave up five runs and four earned runs, both of them still season highs. And the three walks were also a pre-shoulder tightness season high. So I'm, I'm going to report a lot on Auburn once I get to Omaha. But the one thing to really pay attention to in between now and then is the status of, of Tanner Burns, if you're looking for updates out of Auburn. Uh, on Louisville, it's a really good infield. They had two guys drafted in the first four rounds, and, and both by the Giants. The first baseman, Logan Wyatt, I'm assuming no relation Matt? None. None as far okay. as I know. And as far as I know. He, he went in the second round, and the shortstop, Tyler Fitzgerald, went in the fourth round. And honestly, I could argue that they're having the second and third best infield seasons for Louisville behind the freshman third baseman, Alex Benellis, who's hitting 315 with 13 homers. He reached base five times in the two-game Louisville Super Regional. So I'm, I'm really excited to lay eyes on this infield in person. And I say all that just to point out that the bullpen might actually be the strength of this team. So it's a it's a solid ball club that Chris Lamonis' former boss, Dan McDonald's bring into Omaha. Yeah, they're good. And we know about um we certainly know about Vanderbilt. Yeah. You know, they're loaded. Loaded. And so people were saying, you know, on Twitter yesterday, yeah, well, T D Ameritrade is not a home run hitters ballpark and and that's true. But, you know, Blade and Austin Martin, they're hitters wherever they go, you know, yeah. um, and they're loaded. Vanderbilt's loaded. They had, they had 13 guys taken in, in the draft. They just had a freshman throw a 19 strikeout no hitter in the Super Regional. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't think Vandy needs yeah. an introduction with, with this particular listening audience. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, you know, it's just – and then you look at Arkansas over there. Um, they're stacked. They're good. Uh, could win it all. Florida State, to me, looks like a team on the other side of the bracket that just has something special going. I, I don't know how you put your finger on it. There's a little bit of that's baseball with them and Michigan, the fact that n- neither of those teams were highly thought of or seeded going into the tournament, mm-hmm. and now they look like two of the best teams in the country. Michigan wins a Super at UCLA, the number one team for Pete's sake. You know, Look at what Florida State did. To go through that Athens Regional the way they did, they didn't just go win it. They dominated it. Like it was, it it was blowouts, and then to get to Omaha through Baton Rouge, and the stat that was interesting to me, Cole Kubelik, uh, our football guy over in Alabama, put this out there yesterday. I was going to try to look this up so I can make sure I get the exact teams, but the stat was that the last three national champions in college baseball, Brett. I saw this. I'll look it up while you uh, while you say it. Well, I've about got it. I've got his Twitter feed pulled up, so I'll be able to go back to it if you want. I've got it right here. If you okay. Need it. All right. So give it to me. The last three national champions. Uh, all of them eliminated LSU mm-hmm. on on their way. Uh, 2016 Coastal Carolina eliminated LSU on the way to a national title. 2017 Florida eliminated LSU on their way to a national title, and then Oregon State last year eliminated LSU on their way yeah. to the national title. And there's some mojo working for Florida State since they eliminated LSU on their way to Omaha. Maybe it's on the way to what would be Mike Martin's first and only national championship in his yeah. 40th year in Tallahassee. Yeah, so it's 
it's just going to be, you know, really incredible. But State has pitching depth. Their, their lineup, one through nine, is as good as anybody. They have the SEC all-time hits leader. Um, you know, they have a, a magic uh, guy with these magical at-bats and McNamee. You know, talent throughout the lineup. The first time State played Auburn, Rowdy Jordan couldn't hit one with a two by ten, and sure. and now he's hot as a firecracker, and so is Tanner Allen. Yep. So you know, and the team, so the team's a little bit different. It is a game. Maybe we're wrong, but it is a game that going into Sunday, I'm going to expect a low scoring game, and it'll take singles. Whoever you know, the team who can find the holes. And who, you know, compiles the most singles and the key double here and there is the one that's going to win it because neither of those teams is going to go in there and hit four home runs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, unless you're Jordan Westberg on that one day against North Carolina, nobody goes in there and hits yeah. four homers. Right. <laughs> right. Unless you're him. And he honestly, he's one of the guys, you know, in that game. There's there's obviously guys with power to hit the ball out of the ballpark between those two teams, State and Auburn. But in terms of power to hit it out of that ballpark, you probably have Westberg at the top of the list. Um, in that, you know, it's just all it takes for him is one swing and he can hit it out to any park uh, because, you know, the ball just jumps off his bat. Anyway, Brett, I, I, I just I think uh, maybe it's time to get into a few co- questions here um, on Twitter. I just think that it, it's amazing how this has been a team where things have not been hairy and crazy and wild. Yep. It's just a, it's, I, I, it, you don't have that roller coaster ride that you've had in the past. Yeah. You know, I've been, I was thinking about that uh, and doing a couple of radio spots around the, around the nation over the, over the weekend. Like this has been a drama free season. It's just been so different from what last year was. I mean, this, this team was one of the best teams in America when they started the season on February 15th. They're one of the best teams in America right now mm-hmm. on June 11th, and they've been one of the best teams in America on every date on the calendar in between. I mean, they've played, what is it, like 64 games now? Is that right? Yes. 51 and 13? Yeah, 64. Mm-hmm. They've played 64 games to date, and they had six where they had trouble hitting. They just so happened to be yeah. concentrated into all three in Fayetteville and all three in Hoover. Yeah, that's and, right. And they had the defensive struggles against LSU. They made the defensive change. That was that was gone immediately. Like they've they played 64 games and they've been one of the best teams in America for the entirety of of that stretch. It's just been very drama free for the most part and and you can only hope that uh, that it stays that way because if it stays drama free, yep. it, it just might end with being one of the final two teams um, left in, in college baseball. As you mentioned, I put out a, a kind of last second response uh, request for Twitter questions and got some pretty good responses. Uh, so let's let's filter through those uh, right. as much as we can. Okay. Um, uh, let me start you up. You, it looks like somebody tweeted a response to the Cole Gordon thing. It's, uh, Clark- yeah, I, I have the full numbers here. Okay. Um, so that that's just like a scoreless inning streak, which is pretty impressive. Uh, but this one is is wild. So Clark Hayes at C Hayes four two two on six four two two on Twitter. What's Cole Gordon's stats the past two postseasons after the Oklahoma game last year? So you may remember he had one outing against Oklahoma in the Tallahassee Regional last year that did not go well. Got him again, went like, what was it, six or seven strong, and then has been lights out in the postseason since then. So starting with his second outing against Oklahoma, the one that he's going to be remembered for a long time for, Mm. he's thrown 26 and two-thirds innings in the NCAA tournament. 15 hits and eight walks allowed for a 0.862 whip. Four runs allowed for a 1.35 ERA. 37 strikeouts. That's 37 strikeouts to eight walks. And check this out. Those 37 NCAA tournament strikeouts in 2018 and 2019, he had 41 in the regular season both last year and this year. So his 12 postseason games – well, 12 regular, 12 NCAA tournament games over the last two seasons, they've almost equaled the strikeout totals from each of his previous two regular seasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's, been, he's been incredible. So the, the short version of that 
is 26 and two thirds NCAA tournament innings over the last two seasons, a 0.862 whip, a 1.35 ERA, a 37 to eight strikeout to walk Good ratio. That's what, the, that's what Cole Gordon is in the ninth inning, man. He's been, he's been a, a heck of a story. I mean, uh, Josh Warren on, on Twitter. Prediction for when we see JT Ginn next. Game one, game two, or game three. Three, baby. Of the College World Series. Three. The that's, short, that's what I think. Three. Three. Yeah. Why? I Well, I just think... I know he's a former first-rounder, but for the last two months, Peyton Plumley has been your best pitcher behind Ethan Small. That's fair, and it, and it kind of goes... To, let's combine these two questions from, from Josh and from Dylan Newell, who wonders if State playing on a Sunday to start, thus being in the nickel blacks, yeah. wonders if you put Peyton Plumley out there to start game one of, of the College World Series. I guess we'll find out how superstitious Chris Limonis <laughs> is and, and what he does because uh, Ethan Small has not pitched in anything other than the Maroon 85s this year. And I'm going to pull up Plumley's stats in, in the Nickel Blacks this year because he's he's been great. Uh, so this isn't in the Nickel Blacks, but it's also when when Peyton Plumley tweets out the three pirate flag emojis yeah. before he starts in the Nickel Blacks. Here are his here are his stats in those three starts: nineteen and a third innings, fourteen hits and three walks for a zero point eight seven nine WHIP, a three point two six ERA, twelve strikeouts. Three wins, three and zero. Oh. So with this nickel black mojo that Peyton Plumley has going on, what would you do in that situation, Matt? Ooh, it's tough, right? Well, what's tough about it is, I'd really like to have, you know, I'd really like to have Ethan Small. I mean, I'd love to have Ethan Small pitching against. Vanderbilt, he held them to one run in the SEC tournament. I'm assuming Vanderbilt's right. going to win their game. Um, right. You know, this question started about JT Ginn, and I think we've answered that. It just, to me, it looks like your options one and two, however you use them, are definitely small and plumly right now. Um, if You know, if you had a completely, not injuries, not, right, not the right word, but you know, health scare free JT Ginn all year. We're probably having a different conversation, but anyway, yes, I, I, I'm not into the superstition thing. I go back to the way we were talking about the regional is, which they didn't do, and it all worked out. Um, I, I, I tell you what, I, I'm going to actually take a step back here and just say that. I think what I have to consider, and this is something I usually don't think of, is the goal for this team is not to go to Omaha and last for a little while. Yep. The goal for this team is to be in the best position to go win the whole thing. And I think I think in order to do that, to be in the best position to win the whole thing, in order to do that, I think you need Ethan Small pitching in the second game against either Louisville or Vanderbilt. I did not expect to feel this way, but I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't expect to feel this way either. I, I, I really thought I would be like, just put Ethan Small out there on Sunday night, get your dub, uh, in theory, your dub, since that's almost always what happens when Ethan Small pitches, and and figure it out from there, because that first win in Omaha is a, is a big one. But I guess it comes down to the matchup. Like if 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 you like Peyton Plumley's stuff against how you scouted Auburn's lineup, mm. then I think you do it um, because both Vandy and Louisville have awesome lineups that you would love for Ethan Small to go up against, um, no matter what you do. And and let's say let's let's play this out as the best case scenario. Let's say you do save JT Ginn for Game Three. You have Peyton Plumley pitch against Auburn. He wins. You have Ethan Small going against either Vandy or Louisville, that would be on Tuesday night. He wins. Then you have JT Ginn pitch on Friday. What if you have JT pitch on Friday, and then you maybe keep him kind of short if you can. You can bring him back for maybe a Tuesday game two of the National Championship Series or Wednesday game three mm. 
if you keep him short, if you kind of dedicate yourself to a bullpen, getting you through that that Friday game, you could bring him back in a short relief kind of deal for that Tuesday or that Wednesday College World Series uh, National Championship Series. That's that's playing like four moves ahead, so that's that's a little preposterous, admittedly. Yeah. Here's but the other I, thing. Here's the other thing to consider. Okay. Peyton Plumley did not pitch against Auburn the first time. Their hitters at Auburn have not seen a single pitch out of the right hand of Peyton Plumley. Ooh. Um, yeah, because Keegan James started that Sunday game, didn't he? That's it. And I just flipped through the box scores, unless I read them wrong, but I think I'm reading them right. He didn't come out of the pen in any of those games because, you know, he didn't pitch. He did on- not. You're right. So, you know, for whatever that means, I mean, we're talking about a series that happened at the end of March. I get it. But it's a lineup that has seen everybody you have because you played a 15-2 to two game on Saturday and you played a 20-15 to 15 <laughs> game on Sunday. <laughs> In that series, they've seen everybody you have except yeah. Peyton Plumley, And, mm-hmm. you know, small. you have so much confidence in small – it doesn't matter who you face. Doesn't matter their lineup, whether they're rights, whether they're lefts. You know, Auburn does have some power hitters and that are left-handed, but Plumley is a guy that keeps the ball down. Um, and the fact that this is going to be something new uh, for whatever that plays into it, and then if you look at how the schedule could play out, I, I tell you, I'm talking myself into putting Plumley on the mound against Auburn on Sunday night. They hadn't seen him. And he's hot right now. Um, I might take my chances on that. I'm I'm here for it. I, I agree with you. I think I think that's what I would do. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to to hearing what uh, yeah what Lamonis has to say about that. But also, and the other side to this is if you factor in JT Ginn's pitching schedule, like maybe it just works best for him as he ramped up from not pitching in the super. Maybe it works best for him where his arm is most primed on Sunday sure, for that Sunday sure. game against yeah. Auburn, and that's when that's when you throw. And that's the one factor we're not taking into account. Um, yeah, that's right. But I think the heart of this question was when will we see JT again relative to his health? I kind of beat around the bush on on this one uh, going into the Super Regional. Um, I think JT again needed to not pitch this weekend to be back to 100%. Okay. All right. Just relative to his – his what he's coming back from. I think Monday he could he would have gone. Lamonis did say that post game. If if there was a game three on Monday, JT Ginn would have pitched it. Um, but I think the fact that he didn't puts him at as close to one hundred percent as someone in his situation can be. That being a freshman who's throwing this bulk of innings for the first time yeah. in his entire life and has dealt with some complications because of it. That's pro- this is probably as close to 100% as you can reasonably expect someone like him to be. So whenever his arm schedule says to throw him, I think you throw him. Okay. Hey, and Brett, um, with an eye on the time here, we we have a question here about the umpire getting after McNamee. And, <laughs> and, and there's a lot of other questions. Can we do this? Let's go machine gun on a few of these questions um, that have come. Yeah. And then I'm going to finish it up. I'm going to give you five minutes on the umpire. And if you use it, fine. If not, I'll jump in there with you. But let's go machine gun on what we have left so we can. I want to get this wrapped up in time to get it posted before I have to get on the radio okay. um, here today. All right. So um, <clears throat> let me make sure I know that was Hayden. We're going to come back to Hayden. We did get a tweet from Michael Plumley. That is Peyton's dad. Says, as you could tell by my son's expression on Big Mac's smack. Uh, what were the first words out of y'all's mouth? <laughs> my, uh, mine was. I don't remember what the first words out of my mouth were, but I definitely audibly, um, audibly reacted, and then I immediately like locked into Elijah McNamee for storytelling purposes. That's when yeah. I was like, okay, he's he's part of the story I'm writing out of this, and I got I got to lock in here. But I definitely audibly reacted. I don't know if it was a, Oh my God, or a, Whoa, or something. I mean, I, I did it. I did it. Mine was, mine was arms in the air and I went, Oh, he killed it. And then it was, uh, followed by it's gone. And then I just watched it. But I think the first words out of my mouth were, Oh, he killed it. All right. 
Um, Roy wants Roy Schilling wants to know what dugout state will be in. I have no Home idea. Home teams are in the third base dugout in right. Omaha. Okay. So do with that what you will. All right. There you go. Uh, Super Regional MVP was Dustin Skelton. Yep. Uh, that was from Chris New. Philip Owen. <clears throat> Uh, once he says, I'm sure y'all will hit on our pitching rotation, but I'm also interested in who Auburn and even Vandy are pitching in their first games. And I think Philip, we've already covered that. We covered we covered Auburn for sure because Tanner yeah. Burns is the big news there for for Vandy. I'm assuming they're going to go with their usual ace Drake Fellows to start, even yeah. if Tim Corbin might like to save some pitching for later. Kumar Rocker throwing what was it 131 pitches in that no hitter. <laughs> he's he's probably going to need every bit of rest he can get. He needs rest. Chad Dacus said that when McNamee hit it, his eyes were, oh, my, he did it, he did it, he did it, followed by someone cutting onions uh, <laughs> around there. Brad says, who won the Omaha 8 contest? That's from Brad Haynes. Yeah, so uh, on the original 8, um, you hit 4. Okay. You had Mississippi State, Vandy, Arkansas, and Texas Tech. I hit on 3 which were Vandy, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. And then when we redid the selections, when we got the super regional pairings, you hit six and I hit five. Okay. Uh, we differed on Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. You got that one right. We differed on Ole Miss and Arkansas. I got that one right. We differed on Auburn and UNC. You got that one right. Okay. All right. There you go. And I really had a hard time with that Auburn-North Carolina one. Um, so it was more of a guess than anything else. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, Reservoir Dog said, will the broadcasters in Omaha try to resurrect the Rally Banana story to fill time? We'll see. I don't think they'll be able to because it's got to happen naturally. Dogs Baseball says, which Nickelback song does the team listen to? I have no idea. Uh, Really? All of them. Okay. They listen to all of them, Dogs Baseball. Yeah, I got a a Spotify list shared with me, and it's a pretty pretty extensive – discography of of Nickelback. So it's not it's not just the hits. They're pretty they're pretty widespread with their Nickelback consumption. And Reservoir Dog says, if the Bulldogs win it all, can we get a picture of all the Hale State media in attendance forming an actual dog pile on the field? Also, God bless whoever ends up underneath Hey Dad. That's my thing, is there are certain risks that we should all be willing to take. <laughs> and being you know at the bottom of a Brian Haydad dog pile is not one of those risks, frankly. It, I would love nothing more than to take that picture. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know that we'll be allowed to because we'll we'll have something to do, believe it or not. Um, but I, I'd love nothing more than to take it. That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, and then uh, yeah, so that'll pretty much cover it. So I want to go back and so thanks to everybody um, on short notice for your tweets this morning and some of the questions, Hayden. Says not a question, but I would very much enjoy a Brett Hudson rant about the first base umpire and his shenanigans. Uh, and so, with five minutes or so left here, Brett um, McNamee hits a home run. He's juiced, throws the bat to the dugout, uh, several fist pumps, and as he's rounding first base, eventually the umpire barks at him. I don't really I can't wrap my head around what an umpire would be thinking in that scenario that he needs to do that. Um and then I it, and then there's context, there's more context to it now because since then we've seen that there was a post on Facebook by the umpire where someone asked him or about it or alluded to it and he kind of said, "Yeah, that was a you know, he admitted to barking at him to get around the bases and that pimping a home run, he's, he called it a weak move or whatever. And I just thought, you know, well, that's, I won't be surprised if that's all the umpires because they're not supposed to, you know, you do something, but you're certainly not supposed to be posting on social media about it, which is kind of a big no-no for umpires and referees. And it shows you, it gives you a little, for me, a glimpse into a guy who he, he, he's really kind of in the wrong mindset to be an umpire. Um, that's what I think. And, and so what do you think? It's not your bleeping job. This is not your job to police what they do, what, what conduct they do on the field. This is not your freaking job. Yeah. It's not. We've, we've got these just bafflingly stupid unwritten rules 
in the sport of baseball, many of them are bafflingly stupid. Those police what kind of conduct is done on the field. And you know what? Stanford's catcher was yelling at Mac and Stanford's bench was yelling at Mac as he was doing that. And if that's how they want to police that, that's great. If they want to be Neanderthals and throw at the guy, that's fine. They weren't given that opportunity, but if they wanted to and they were given that opportunity, they could have. That's Stanford's job to police that. That is not your job as the umpire to police that. You police the literal rules of the game. You are not policing the unwritten rules of the game. This is not your job. And you know what? The ump should have context on this. The ump should know all of these things about these teams because this is his only assignment for the weekend. And in theory, it's his last assignment of the year, uh, unless he's one of very few that gets to make the trip up to Omaha. So he should probably have a better feel for these teams than he should for most of the teams he sees in the regular season. He should have a feel for the stadium around him and for this being a monstrous moment in the life, not just the baseball career, but the life of Elijah McNamee. So he should have that, but let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say he doesn't. Yeah. Even if he doesn't, it is eight to one in the top of the ninth inning. They are four outs away from Omaha. This is a senior who just went yard in his final at-bat in his new stadium, in his home stadium that he's played in every day almost for three years, and he wants to celebrate it a little bit. What's wrong with that? Yeah. What's wrong with it? Let him celebrate it. That's He's going to remember that moment for the rest of his life, and he's going to remember having some words for you as he was rounding first base, by the way. Ump show, total ump show candidate mm-hmm. here. This guy... This guy is so out of bounds, it's it's hard to fathom how out of bounds this dude is by trying to police what Elijah McNamee's doing on the home run trial. It's not your job. It's not your place. Mm-hmm. It's despicable. It's honestly despicable. And, and this ump, like, I don't know. Look, I'm not going to get into how the man can or cannot make, make a living because what he's doing here is not breaking a law of any kind. It's just small. And it's it's stupid, and it's something that should not happen from an ump when when a guy is just trying to live up what will probably go down as one of the top ten moments of his entire life when it's all when it's all said and done. It's just it's ridiculous that this happened. He's getting reamed for it on the internet. Frankly, he deserves it. I'm not interested in going onto his Facebook page and and creating a, a big deal of that. I'll, I'll let I'll let others do that as they please, but it's, it was unacceptable Mm. what this guy did and just have, have a brain, have three seconds of independent thought to realize that what Elijah McNamee is doing is not attempting to show up an opponent. He's, he's genuinely taking in and expressing a moment that he'll remember for the rest of his life. Why would you impact that? Why would you impede on that? Why would you take away from that or attempt to a take away from that at all. Mm. I don't get that. I've never witnessed someone having a moment they'll remember for the rest of the life and said, you know what? I need to cut this short. I need to tone this down. I will never understand that reaction. It yeah. doesn't make sense to me. It should never happen. And something needs to be done about that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I imagine he's probably not going to umpire any more games. Uh, the Facebook thing, I, I get it too. Like, I'm not going to go there myself and comment or anything, but it's out there. And, you know, there's some comments from him, like he doesn't enjoy doing it, but he likes the paycheck. And, you know, then the, the comment that he did make uh, when somebody asked him on Facebook about, I take it you don't like guys that pimp home runs. And he said, that's correct. Very weak move. Uh, you can't do that as an umpire. One is if you do it, that's that's one thing, you know. The other thing is you can't get on social media and post about stuff you call during a game. That's a huge no-no for any referee and umpire. So most likely he's done as an umpire. Um, but what I would say is use that as an use that as a gauge and just remember, you know, umpires are human. So they it's an example of an umpire who gets out of he gets the whole picture out of skew as to what his role is. 
I'm saying the same thing you're saying, Brett. You're saying this is not your job. You're right. It's not his job. It's an ump show. And exactly. And they get it out. They put on this umpire uniform. Some, it's not all. There are hundreds and thousands of great umpires who they lock into what their role is. And they don't get out of their lane, but there will always be certain personalities who will get out of their lane, who, because they're on the field with a role, they begin to lose focus and start to think their role is bigger than it is, more important than it is. Start to think as an umpire that they are a part of the game. No, you're really not a part of the game. You're the standard. You're the baseline. You're the one who makes sure that the game is fair. You're the one that enforces the rules, but you're not a part of the game. This is someone who lost focus of that. And it'll happen again, but that's what it is. And it's a great example to, I think, young umpires to remember there are certain situations where you, you are not allowed to step into it as an umpire. Now, some may disagree. Well, Matt, what if jawing starts happening? Don't they have to do something to, you know, prevent a fight? Uh, okay, well, use your best judgment there. If a player is taunting in front of the other dugout, you know, looking at the players and yelling at them or something like that, well, maybe you need to avoid a fight if you feel that happening. Well, that wasn't happening here. This is a guy who he's pumping his fist, but he's headed to first base. And because of the moment, you just got to leave him alone. And so you're right. He just kind of, uh, he wasn't thinking. That's what it is. And he wasn't thinking either to go and post about it on social media. And now that's probably going to put him out of a job. It's the way that works. And, and- my my last thought on this is that the whole Facebook thing where he makes it clear that he doesn't agree with what Elijah McNamee was doing and no other sport is that acceptable. If, if a football ref like just doesn't like RPOs, like just doesn't <laughs> like the spread way that the game is going right now. So he goes out of his way to crazily enforce the lineman downfield rule. That's not acceptable. That's not a thing you can do in basketball. Say, say a guy just hates high paced games. Like they want to, to slow it up and, and let the shot clock really run. So he's totally non-existent on the five second call. Like he'll just allow you to defend the guy heavily as long as possible, just to let that shot clock drain down and and keep it going. That's not acceptable. So there's no reason for this to be acceptable. And, and this same thing does not happen in football and basketball. Refs in those sports don't allow their personal stylistic choices to impact how they officiate games. And the fact that baseball umps allow them to do the allow themselves to do this, and the fact that this particular first base umpire allowed himself to do this against Elijah McNamee is total nonsense. It's garbage. Cannot, should not happen. Yeah. Attaboy, Brett. Do- do you think that satisfied the rant? Is that <laughs> was that impassioned enough? Yeah, no, I think it probably did. <laughs> I think it satisfies it. Yeah. And that's the PG version. If if you want the R-rated version, find me in a bar in Omaha. I'll give it to you. <laughs> yep. All right. Good stuff. As always. He's Brett Hudson. I'm Matt. This is Dogpile, presented by Mississippi Land Bank. Y'all look them up on Twitter at MS Land Bank. Make sure you let them know that you appreciate their support of Dogpile. And the same thing for Jubilations. On Twitter, they are at Jubilations, Inc., I-N-C. Let them know as well and stop in when you get a chance. For Brett Hudson, I'm Matt Wyatt. We'll see you next time. See ya. Big hit, Mac just did it again. Come on now, big hit, Mac got one more big hit in him. There ain't a better place to be in the world than right there on that Dogpile.